power of the Holy Spirit. I can see why he'd do that. that that's incredible. You know, I, I said, Lord, what's going on here? And then these guys would just talk about it as an everyday happening. I've been a Christian for 25 years and I've never seen it. Now, you, maybe it's you, you think, well, I'm a new Christian, but wait till you're supposed to be a pastor. I mean, a pastor, after all, is supposed to know it all. I mean, just, just lay it on me and I'll give you the answer. I didn't have an answer. And I thought, well, that's probably a real man of God over there that's just, you know really under the spout and something I haven't learned yet and I began to seek God's face I got exasperated Lord what's going on here and I began to seek the Lord's face and I'd listen to the 700 club and I'd read the word some more and I said Lord I don't understand why they've got it and why I haven't got it but I want everything you've got I told you that when I was a new Christian everything you've got I want it before God I want it at any cost I want it exasperation oh Lord and I was put out with the Lord it was an open book test, but you see so many times you don't, you don't see these things in the Word. Then we had a dear brother come home from the Navy one Sunday morning. You know what happened. I mean, I got the baptism. Praise the Lord. I mean, I manifested the speaking in tongues, and we began to see miracles around here. And a fellow comes in here one Sunday morning, and he walks down to the front, and he said, Brethren, you come up here. I'd just like to pray for you. And I knew every person on that row. I knew what their lives were like, and I knew what their problems were. And I knew where they were in need. And this man didn't even close his eyes when he prayed. He laid hands on him and began to pray and told him exactly what the problem was and prayed for that need. And I was standing behind him like this. And I was looking to see what he was seeing on the top of their heads as he looked at the top of their heads. And I thought, God, I must be blind. I don't see that. Gene Lilly came. Gene Lilly says, who's that big fellow in the back back there with the beard? I told him, Peter Gabo. He says, tell him to come up here. He walked up here, and he didn't know Peter from Adam. And he says, God just told me that he's taking the spirit of poverty off of you, and he's going to turn things around, and prosperity is going to be coming your way. And Peter just stood there and said, glory to God. Praise <laughs> the Lord. And I said, dear God, where did he read that? Where did he get that? And I got exasperated with the Lord. But you know something? When we're maturing, God will bring things into our lives to make us jealous to get more from him. Now, if it doesn't do that to you, I pity you. But you know, I, I think there's a little bit of Jewish blood. If there's anything to be gotten that isn't going to cost me too much, I'll get it. <laughs> Give it to me. Paul was recording what God was saying to him in the 10th chapter of Romans. You don't have to turn to it. But he was telling what Moses had said to Israel and God said to Israel I'm going to provoke you to jealousy I'm going to raise up the Gentile nations and show you how it ought to be done now you just haven't been obedient to me and you just resisted me and you've killed all my servants he said so I'm just going to pass by you and I'm going to make you jealous and you know I think this is what God tries to do to his children every once in a while it isn't dangling a carrot but he's just let someone come in to show you that he's got more for you you know, I haven't seen anyone raised from the dead. How many of you believe God can raise people from the dead? You ever wished you could see somebody raised from the dead? You ever wished you could be in on it? You ever wished that God would lay it on you to where you couldn't help yourself? You'd say, in the mighty name of Jesus, rise from the dead. You know, if we'd ever tried that in the natural, I'd be standing there saying, <laughs> don't do it. You know, in the natural, 
You can't do it unless God shows you to do it. You see, I, I've said, Lord, begin to let me see and hear these things these others are seeing and hearing. I get thrilled when the brethren around here get a message, bring a message in tongues or an interpretation or a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge. I get thrilled. And several weeks ago, the night that we had the foot washing service and everything else broke loose around this table, for the first time in a real deep sense of the word, I sensed the blessing of God allowing a prophecy to come through me for the different men around the table. And when that prophecy would come forth, some of them went right down on the floor and began to weep and pray to the Lord and praise the Lord and seek the Lord's face. It's the most humbling experience in the world when it comes to you, but when people stand off the side, they say, wow, that must be a wonderful experience. It is, but if God brings it into your life, it may be at times just to cause exasperation on you, to provoke us to jealousy so we say, oh God, I'm not finished, I still want more. You know, I've always said one thing before the Lord. I made a mistake one time when God was pouring out His Spirit on me in, church, in school. I said, oh God, stop, I can't take any more of this. Don't. You know, I had such blessings and I just felt like I was going to burst. And I've learned since then, never do that. If it'll help you to tell you ahead of time, don't ever tell the Lord, no, Lord, shut it off, I can't take any more. Just say, Lord, enlarge the capacity of my heart and give me all you've got. Trouble is, we start thinking I haven't got capacity for Him, but He can enlarge our capacity. And now my heart's desire is, God, everything you've got for me, give it to me and enlarge my heart that I can receive it to minister in the way you want, you want me to minister. But I want you to know that I personally, as your pastor, want to be on every, in on everything that God is doing. I don't want to be left out. And I never want to get to the rigid state to where I can say, this is all God's going to do and He isn't going to do anymore because every time I do, He just blows me out of the water and shows me that he hasn't begun to do what he's going to do in the days ahead. How many believe we haven't seen the beginning of it? I believe that. We haven't begun to see what God's going to do when he pours out his Spirit in these last days. If we think some of these miracles we've seen are tremendous, what was it Roberto Salazar says that in one of the South American countries right now, that whole legs and whole arms that were never there are growing right out while people are standing there watching? Can you imagine that? I don't know about you, but that'd be enough to preach on for a week, wouldn't it? <laughs> if somebody walked in here on a crutch and a, they had a false leg and all of a sudden that leg just went out. You know what? I really believe that the next Sunday there wouldn't be enough room in the building, don't you? It's a shame we can't get as excited about the Word, isn't it? People will come to miracles, but not to the Word. But God will cause exasperation in our lives. And I want you to know I'm very interested in what Wesley and Luther and Simpson and some of these other people had to say a few years ago, a few hundred years ago, but I'm not that interested because what they have to say is stale. It might be true, but it's stale. I want to know what God is saying today and where he wants us to go today. And I'm exasperated whenever I find myself not moving with God in the way he wants me to go. And I believe that there can be a holy exasperation in our lives. And then, of course, there's frustration. And frustration comes when, uh, you're not, as I said some weeks ago when I was speaking to you. Frustration is the fact that you're not where you were. God knows I'm not where I was five years ago. And to know that I'm not where I want to be. And I really don't know where I'm going next. You just It's a holy frustration. You, you can't go back. And you have to move on, even though you don't know exactly where you're moving on to. But you know that every step you've come thus far has been a glorious thing, and you couldn't go back if you wanted to right now. So if it's that good in the future, as difficult as it might be, it's worth moving on. But you move on to frustration, because we always tend to say, well, feels pretty comfortable right here, Lord. Can we just build three tabernacles and stay right here? 
And we have to make a choice. We have a couple of choices, and that is to pay the price and endure the agony of transition and the frustration and the anxiety and all these things I've described to you that comes with maturity. And open up our hearts and just get away from this old idea, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, to Lord, it's us, the body. You know, when, when Jeremiah preached or prayed in the Old Testament, and when Daniel prayed in the Old Testament, and when Nehemiah prayed in the Old Testament, these were godly men, and they, when they prayed, they said, oh God, we have sinned against thee. We have fallen short of what you intended for us. They identified themselves with those that were not right with God. And I wonder what would happen in this body if we'd begin to pray that way. God, we have failed as a body. Not they have failed. God has ministered to them. God ministered to that family. God ministered to them people. Lord, we've all failed. All these men of God, when they began to seek revival, began to identify themselves with those that were fallen and weak. Can you imagine what could happen to this body if we began to identify that way with each other? Lord, it isn't them, it's us. If I were what I ought to be, they'd be more what they ought to be. Is that true? Aren't we byproducts pretty much of what's around us many times? You know why some people can't love? They've never been loved. We can say, look, if they can't love anyone, well, maybe they need to experience love. They can't get close to anyone. Maybe they need you to get close to them. And I'll assure you there's sometimes you've got to force yourself close to people. But down deep inside, they're crying, I'm all alone, I'm all alone, I'm all alone. Just what I went through that one time. I'm all alone. But they, they'll, they'll even push away from you to try to keep you from getting too close to them. But once they begin to sense, hey, somebody loves me, they might just open up and see a totally different person. You might see a totally different person. So we have to say, Lord, we have failed and we need to change. Not just me or not just them, but we have to change. And in doing so, I'll assure you, you're going to be vulnerable, vulnerable to attack. You see, Jesus said, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. And when Jesus was willing to come, he knew that he was going to be open to attack. Um, may I just insert one other thing in here tonight before I give you the second reason here. The first one is to pay the price, and the other one is to pretend you don't understand and there'll be some people who walk out of the church just like nothing's ever happened after they hear these messages. I just don't understand what he's talking about. But in this area of the fact that Jesus said, as the Father hath sent him, so sends he us. You know, we're going to have an awful lot of problems in this body in the days ahead, but by the grace of God, in the area of delegated authority. In watching some of the other charismatic churches as they're beginning to develop more and more this horizontal relationship and they're beginning to have delegated authority, they're getting into all sorts of problems. You see, it's not something that Jesus wasn't aware of. What did, when Jesus came to earth and he started talking to the Jews, what did they say to him? Show us the Father. Come on, show us the Father. He said, I'm the Father's representative. No, 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 come on, show us God. If you're, if you're supposed to be so good, show us God. He said, he that has seen me hath what? No, 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 no. They said, we want to see there is just one God. Are you saying you're God? Jesus was God. And he said, if you've seen me... But they wanted to see the head man, didn't they? All the time. Anybody here know an assistant pastor or associate pastor anywhere? I was an associate pastor. I was a youth pastor one time. People would call and say, uh, who's going to be speaking tomorrow? I was all prayed up, you know, studied up, ready to go, <laughs> charged up, you know, really excited about preaching. Say, Brother Joe Webb. Oh, okay, thank you. 
See, delegated authority. I could go and call on people in the hospital and pray with them, give them verses, anything they want. I'd sprinkle them with oil, pray for them, just everything I could. And they'd go home and say, the preacher didn't even call on me. I thought I was there. What's the matter? I was there. See, people don't recognize delegated authority. God said of his son, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He's my representative. Listen to him. Then he says, God has placed in the body pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets, right on down the line, for the edifying of saints, for the work of the ministry. And so the pastor begins to teach the men within the body, those that are leaders within the body, those that want to walk and go on with the Lord. He begins to teach them, and he begins to give them ministries within the body. And the person goes out and they said, I, I want to come and pray for you. And they say, where's the pastor? Well, the pastor sent me and asked me to come and pray for you. Oh. And so you, you try to pray. We have to realize that delegated authority is recognized in the Word of God. You realize that? Jesus was delegated authority, wasn't he? When he came. He represented, he says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. What, does Jesus say, what did Jesus say about his disciples? He that receives them receives me. And he that rejects them, rejects me. Who? Those that come as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? That's delegated authority, isn't it? You breathing? That's delegated authority, isn't it? Huh? And as we talk about interpersonal relationships here, the time is going to come. God's raising up more and more men within this body who are getting established in the Word. And before long, some of them are going to be out calling on the sick and calling on the visitors. They're going to be taking charge of the building ministry, part of the work of the building. They're going to be taking care of areas of the Sunday school, taking care of call areas of calling on the unsaved. And they're going to be working with a small body of believers. When that believer comes to me, I'll say, go and talk to brother such and such and let him minister to you in that area. I say, but I want to talk to you. Well, I'm ministering to that group there, and I have, I have delegated them to represent me to share with you what God has to say. I've taught them, now they're going to be teaching you. And you know something? There'll be a lot of people saying, uh-uh, not me. Either the head man or not at all. And Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And as long as we stay in the idea of I and me and not we and us, flowing as a body with different gifts within the body and different ministries within the body, we're not going to be able to come into that horizontal relationship that brings us into a better vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. He who receiveth me, receiveth you, receiveth me. Luke 4. Luke 4. 18 and 19. You see, I just said that Jesus said, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. And it says here, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said this, because he hath anointed me. Now I want you to see what the anointing upon us should be for. The purpose, if he sent us, just as, just as the Father sent him, so he's sending us. I want you to see what God has sent us to do. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to, one, preach the gospel, 
to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, number two. Number three, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That sounds like involvement, doesn't it? And he has sent you and me to this with the same task. But it will not function until we function as a body. You know, it's very difficult for a, a person whose home is in total disarray to try to tell the people how to live, isn't it? Do you believe it's just as difficult for a body of Christ who's all in disarray and not in proper order? That How many of you know there are some churches today that are totally out of order? You know that? It's pretty difficult for that church to go out and tell the world how to live, isn't it? But when we're called of the Lord and come in obedience and maturity and walk in the Spirit to do those things which the Lord wants us to do, we come into a place of obedience, we come into a place where there's that flowing, horizontal flowing of the Spirit in the body. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and loveth God, knoweth God. When we come into that relationship, these things will take on a natural follow-up. It'll happen just as naturally as it can be. When a man comes from this body to you, you'll recognize that he has, God has raised him up as a leader within the body. God has brought him to a place of maturity, that his home is in order, that he's doing the things that God would have him to do to be in a place of obedience before the Lord. And then last, and I close with this, and that is pretend that you don't understand. A lot of people say, well, Brother Webb, I, this is all nice and beautiful, but really all I want to do is go to heaven. <laughs> If I just make it through those gates, praise God. I had someone say to me recently, even if all I have to do is sweep the streets, as long as I can be in heaven, that's all I want to do. I didn't want to disillusion them and tell them there's not going to be any dirt in heaven. And we're not going to be throwing bubblegum wrappers in the streets of heaven. But they say, well, basically, rather than pay that price, I, I would just, just as soon play the game. You know, I've got a certain pew, and I sit in that pew every Sunday. And I've just learned the songs. I've just gotten through learning the courses on the wall up there, and I've had a difficult time doing that. And I've gotten the baptism of the Holy Spirit now, and I, you know, I really enjoy praying in the Spirit in my private devotions. And really, don't hassle me. I just am so grateful that God's brought me so far. And I really don't understand all these other things you're talking about, so really, don't rock the boat. Just let me be. Now, we have our choice of what we're going to do. But again, I have to go back to the initial premise, and that is that God has an eternal program and a plan and a course in mind. And it's never going to change. And so if we're going to get into the flow of that program and goal that God has for us, we have to change. He's going to stop us from sitting on our lees, and he's going to dump us from one vessel to the next vessel to the next vessel to the next vessel. So the time comes he gets all the old man out of us and we can flow in the Spirit and genuinely... Now, let me just say one thing here quickly. That is, I know that everybody can't have the same relationship with everyone else in the body. There's some people you're going to have very close, intimate relationship with, and there's others you're going to love them, but you'll just never have that deep, close relationship. I understand that. If everybody gets under condemnation because they can't love everybody the very same, they're going to have a nervous breakdown. That's why the Word says, live as peaceably as possible with thy brethren. There are some people that you're going to be able to love them for the Lord's sake. And there's other people, like the radio pastor said one day, he had to say to a young man, he said, you know, I'm so glad that God put you in my path 
because he's taught me how to love somebody that's unlovely, and you're the hardest person I've ever had to love in my life. And God will put those people in our path. But if we want to go on with God, he's going to bring all these frustrations and hemmed-in experiences and exasperation and loneliness, and he's going to bring them all in to mature us, to bring us to the place where we depend on him first of all, but then cause others to be able to depend on us and us depend on them and flow in the Spirit one with another and find those areas of fellowship that we have. Not a clique, or the French pronunciation, not a clique, but a fellowship one with another. Not that excludes others from the body, but here's a relationship we come together and we grow and we challenge and we exhort and rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. And before long, we'll, we'll find that here God raises up a leader and here God raises up a leader and here God raises up a leader and we begin to flow in this area with delegated authority within the body. I see it coming. I think that's what God's saying to us right now. When it begins to flow, we have to recognize delegated authority. Well, as we recognize it, God's going to bring it into a place of ministry within the body, and he's going to start raising up. I don't feel like I can just go eeny, meeny, miny, moe and pick up a man and say, here, you head that group. I believe God raises up leaders within the body. I know this much that people within the body come to me and say, isn't it wonderful what God's doing in thus and such and this person and that person? Isn't it wonderful to see the maturity that's happening in their lives? I say, yes. And you see, it isn't just the pastor. Others notice it in the li their lives. And that's what God sees too. And people begin to have confidence in that person and they begin to depend on them for ministry. As I said the other night, one lady was sick and they were waiting around for me and finally one of them said, well, this is ridiculous. And went over and grabbed two brothers and said, come pray with me for my wife. And they prayed for her and she got healed. She walked out here and said, didn't even need the preacher. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's going to happen, see, when we begin to flow in that interpersonal relationship. I'm not saying when we do. I'm saying we already, I feel that there is this flowing within the body, but it's going to become stronger and it's going to become necessary. And if you see some people in this body you don't really know, will you make an effort to know them? Will you make an effort? Look around right now. People in this congregation that you don't know, go to them and tell them who you are and that you really want to know more about them because you want to be able to pray for them as the Lord lays them on your heart. That's not going to put you in bondage. It simply means when the Lord reminds you of them, just pray for them. And we're going to begin to see a knitting together when this happens. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you tonight for the agony of transition. And I pray that tonight we might be willing to say, Lord, I don't care what it takes. By the grace of God, I'm going to declare that it's not as though I've already attained, but I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Cause us to be dissatisfied in our own spirits to remain where we are, but to be willing, even though it hurts, to be dumped from vessel to vessel to vessel and to begin to develop, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, these intrapersonal, interdependent, interrelated relationships one with another, to where we minister as a body one to another and begin to flow as a body, and that you're going to raise up within this body men of God who will carry on and enlarge and strengthen this ministry for the glory of God. Lord, by your grace and mercy, I'm believing you in the days ahead we're going to see literally scores of men raised up. And we're going to see this ministry grow because it's not ours, it's yours. And if we're yours, then there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop us. And we're claiming this victory in our lives in the days ahead for Jesus' sake. And in his name we ask it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I just want us to close by singing He is able.
song that I have requested to sing each Christmas season. Last Monday night, Beverly and I were asked to sing at the Lake Mary Chamber of Commerce meeting out at the forest. We sang that this song. Last night, we were asked to sing at another meeting, and I sang it again. And so I think I've practiced it enough, and I can sing it for you this morning. It's written in the form of a Negro spiritual, but tells the story so clearly of how little Jesus was understood when he was here on earth. Sweet little Jesus, boy. Sweet little Jesus, boy. They made you be born in a manger Sweet little holy child Didn't know who you was Long time ago one month, I am finally able to get back to the series that we were on before Christmas time, The Agony of Transition. And you remember that the premise was this, God is doing something in the earth. Contrary to what a lot of people think, God is doing a work in this earth today. And he wants us to be a part of it. And he doesn't change, so if anyone is going to have to change, we're going to have to change and fit into God's program. And that's why he says that the procedure, after we're saved, the procedure of the Holy Spirit or the work or the motivating force or the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit was to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That means that we have to be willing to be, uh, to be flexible. The second thing I said was that the purpose and plan of God, according to the Gospel of John and many other books in the Scripture, is that the body of Christ be one. Now I say again, I'm not talking about denominations all organizationally coming together. But I'm talking about every born-again, repentant, blood-washed uh, Christian Everyone who has confessed their sins, repented of those sins, invited Christ to come into their lives and be Lord of their lives, those individuals, God's saying, I want you to be one. I don't know what dog tag you might have around your neck. That doesn't make any difference. We're all going to lose our dog tags when we step out of this life. The question there is, what have you done with my son when we stand before God? Now, God is saying, I want that group brought together. And he says, I'm, it's going to happen. Whether it's through you, and I said before that God has bypassed many denominations today, raised them up in the fire of revival, and then only for them to become cold and calcified and petrified and mummified and everything else, and God says, well, I'll have to bypass this group and go on. And you can count one group after another, one nation after another, where God has left them go because they were inflexible and unwilling to change and conform into the purpose of God. 
And of course, I said there's several approaches we can have. The church can just have the assembly line approach and just set up the rules and regulations and say we're going to do it this way and no differently, or we can begin to adapt. And as I told you of the tribe of Israel, I mean the, the nation in the Old Testament that God spoke of, he said that they were sitting on their lees and they hadn't been poured from one vessel into another to get all the contamination out of the wine that, that they were talking about in that day. And God's saying here, I'm going to dump you from one vessel into another, from a round one to a square one to a triangle one, until you're ready to move with me when I move and do what I want to do. And part of that purpose of God is not only in this relationship, but a great amount of it has to do with this relationship with one another. And that's where we ended up, talking about horizontal relationships. Jesus said, or John said, and if any man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar and the truth isn't any. How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen when you hate your brethren who you do, whom you do see? So he's saying it's, it's facetious for us to say, oh yes, oh how I love Jesus, oh how I love Jesus, and then snarl at our, friend, our brothers and sisters in Christ. He said it just isn't so if we've been born again of the Spirit of God. And then I went on to say that if this happens, it is going to happen, and God may bring it to pass by two methods, either by maturity or by survival. Remember that? Now, God is either going to allow the church, or the church is either going to allow God to mature them in the Spirit, they're going to go on. You know, as I said, many people go back here and say, well, I was saved at such and such a time. Glory to God. I was saved. And they're always talking about that 40 years later. Always about this salvation experience. I got saved, I got saved, and they don't go on. They don't do anything else. They don't learn what it is to walk in the Spirit. They don't know, learn what it is to be obedient to the Spirit of God. They don't know, learn what it, they've never learned what it is to, uh, to have effective through them the gifts of the Spirit. But even more than that, the power or the fruit of the Spirit, which is holiness. They never learn these things. Consequently, they're just dead where they are. Not hot, not cold, lukewarm. God says, I want to spew them out of their mouth. He says, if, if maturity doesn't do it, if we won't be willing to come into a place of, of flexibility and maturity in him, then the next thing will have to be survival. Now, we don't have to read very far in the Scripture because it says in the last days they're going to say, peace, peace, and then cometh sudden destruction upon the whole earth, such as the world has never seen before. God says, get ready for it. Some people say, well, we're going to be gone then, are we? Well, there's no indication when that's going to be. Could be any time now. They're talking about peace, peace, when there is no peace over in Israel right now. And he says, when they say, peace, peace, then cometh sudden destruction upon the whole earth. We may have to come to the place where all of our church buildings are burned down. Come to the place where all of our religious freedom is taken from us. Come to the place where we'll have to do, as we saw last week in the film, where they had to go down into the caves under the ground in order to worship the Lord. And you know something? Well, that will happen. When we get down there, we won't say, what seminary did you go to? What Bible college do you belong to? Do you have your ordination papers with you so I can check them out and see just what you are? Are you pre-millennial, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation? Which are you? We'll just be so hungry to find others who know that Jesus is Lord that that won't make that much difference. You hear me? Now, one of those two things is going to come about. We're going to come into the place and the purpose and the flowing of the Spirit of God one way or the other. There's no way we can get around it. And so then, the last time I spoke to you, I said we need to learn to tarry and communicate and waste some time with one another in order to begin to develop and build those interpersonal relationships. Last week, I saw some people almost drop their teeth right out on the floor when I said to them, you know what we're in hopes of doing before long is 
bringing our men into a place of maturity and leadership to where on Wednesday nights, instead of meeting here every Wednesday night, we'll be able to meet in individual homes and have fellowship groups and, and Bible studies together and prayer meetings together and build each other up and pray for each other. And then once a month, come together as a body of believers here at the church. And some people, oh, we never did it like that before. Seven last words of the church. We've always done it this way. Remember? Oh, we just never... That doesn't make any difference. Begin to pray that we can have those horizontal relationships where God raises up into this body leaders that will be able to cause the body to want to pull together and to, to, to witness for Jesus Christ. Do you realize that more people can be won to Christ in a home Bible study many times than in churches? I know, if I remember right, Mom and Dad Kerr, years ago when they started the church in Louisville, Kentucky, had more people saved through cottage prayer meetings and Bible studies, if I remember right, than they did in the church. There are people right here that some of the initial contacts that they had for getting saved was in a home Bible study. Well, then I gave you five areas of orderly progression into corporate relationship. Number one, I said if you're part of the body, function like it. Begin to function within the body. Don't hang there like a dead toe or a floppy ear. Or, uh, begin to say, I am part of the body. There is something that I can do in the body, and I'll find what that is, and I'll begin to flow in the body. It is so easy, so very easy, to get into the rut. And you see, we can do it because... Uh, God didn't call me to be a police dog. He called me to be a shepherd. And I'm certainly not called to go around to every person moment by moment, week by week, month by month, and say, uh, what should you be doing in the body? What are you supposed to be doing in the body? Rather, if it's part of the body, I never say to my knee, what are you supposed to do in the body? Now, do what you're supposed to do in the body. I never say that. It knows it's the knee, and it functions as the knee, and the rest of the body doesn't have to worry about it. If it ever gives out, then I look down and say, hey, come on, get in line, you know. But it's supposed to function normally. And if we're part of the body, we should function as the body. Find our place. God, what do you want me to do in the body? And begin to do it without having to be told all the time. You see? Then recognize that there's a long run ahead and you should pace yourself, I said. And there's a difference between a 50-yard dash and a 20-mile cross-country run. And there are a lot of people that just just jumping and jumping and jumping. And I described them as bumper stickers all over their car and Bibles under their arms, tracks sticking out of their pocket. Glory to God, hallelujah. And if you aren't just like them, you're backslidden. What's the matter with you? You've got problems, you know. All of that excitement. But once in a while you see them sitting on the side, their tongue hanging out saying, I've got to get some more strength. I didn't have any. I didn't bring any food with me. My shoes are worn out, you know. They, they just don't realize that God says you can't be on that high up there all the time. There comes a time when your feet hit the ground and you walk before others to where they look at you and desire to know the reason for the hope that lieth within you. The third thing is this, and this is where I believe we quit the last time. Recognize five levels of transforming our thinking from me to us. Five levels. Now here they are. First of all, if we're going to have any Horizontal relationships begin within the body. Where does it have to start first? Certainly with the individual. But when we're talking about a society built up basically of home units, it's got to be, first of all, in the home, and should I say harmony between the husband and the wife? Now, you know, God has spoken to us about that already in the past, hasn't he? 
that if there's any place we've got to stop right there, we can't go any further, we can't do anything more, that is the basic cell of the body of Christ. Do you hear me? I mean, we could build a church here where everybody is praising the Lord and raising their hands and shouting and people running to the altar and it would be it would be all a front if behind and beneath all of it our homes are on the rocks. God cannot bless a home that's not built upon Him. And if the homes are not built upon Him, then the church will not be established upon Him. Because you become the basic cell unit of the body of Christ in your local testimony. You hear me? I, I, I can't emphasize that enough, that that is so very, very important. And I know it's not easy. Week after week, Satan will do everything he can to try to tear that cell apart. Do you know why? Because Jesus said, when you come together and you're married, I make you one. And when you're one, if the two of you can agree in anything in prayer, you can move heaven and earth. And so he has to try to keep you separated some way so that you can't have the power of God to have control of your family and the blessing of God in your home. Now that's the first area that you have to look at. Don't look at You see, I see so many times in the church Men whose homes are a disaster, they're out here, oh, I've got to minister for Jesus. I want to lay hands on you and pray for you, especially the other ladies. They've just got such a special ministry all the time. And, and, and the thing I want to say to them is get your hands off of other people and go home and lay them on your wife and begin to ask God to heal that home. We can't go any further if we don't. Somebody says, oh, Brother Webb, not that again. Submission, submission, submission. That's all I've ever heard. Love your wife, love your wife, love you. That's all I've ever heard. That's right. And you see, we can't go any further until that becomes a reality. That's all I've ever heard. That doesn't make any difference. I already told you some time ago about the man that said, my wife, she nags me and nags me and nags me and begs me and begs me and begs me for money. She's done it for 30 years. Somebody says, did you ever give her any? She says, no, but she just keeps nagging. Now apply that to what I just said. It's nice to know all about the fact that the home needs to be established, but we can't do it for anyone else. I have to continuously be praying before God that my home stays in order. And you as an individual need to know that the most horrible thing that can happen in a Christian home is to get it out of order because then you open yourself to the attack of the enemy and he can do whatever he wants to do in that home. And it goes from bad to worse. I know how we pray. God, heal that woman. God, heal that husband. You know, you know, He, Lord, straighten him out. May I just share something with you that God, I think, is showing me more and more every day? It'll be almost impossible for a home to get into order. Now, I'm talking about where there's two Christians in the home. Almost impossible for any home to get, be put into order and stay in order or for the wife and the children to get in line if the husband, who is the head of the home, doesn't get in line. Now, Bill Gothard put it in another way. He said that if you're a wife and children in a home and you, have the, you feel the attack of the enemy coming against you and you feel constant persecution and problems and strain and stress in the home, start praying for your umbrella, your husband, because he's got holes in his umbrella. I don't care how spiritual a wife and children want to be, if the husband is not in proper order and in his proper place, it's almost impossible for that home to be what God wants it to be. Did you hear me, men? Did you hear me, men? It's impossible. And if we're going to talk about interpersonal relationships, horizontal relationships, one of them that are flowing in the thing that God wants us to do, it's impossible if we don't do it in our own homes first. And I don't care what it costs, it needs to be done. 
So many of us say, oh, our home's going all right right now. What they mean is you've just declared detente. You know, now, honey, I don't want any problems. So here, you set up your own checkbook, and you set up your, this is your car, and this is your bank account, and this is yours, and this is that. You see, detente. And about the time you cross it, what do you think you're doing? Taking my car and burning my gas. What do you mean? You've got to have more money out of my account and your account? What are you doing with all that money? You see, that is not harmony, and that's not love flowing. That's a detente. You just try to keep from fighting each other. little advantage here, a little advantage there, and don't give him an advantage or her an advantage. That doesn't work. God says we're one. The second level. First level, now remember, that is the basic level. Now, by the way, if, if it isn't functioning in your home right now, let me say this. Don't just give up. Go to the second level and begin to work in the second level and hope that they can minister to you to, to cause the first level to be what it ought to be. The second level is to get into a fellowship group. Begin to fellowship and develop a fellowship with a small group of people. Uh, those that have been in the area for many years say it's best not to get over ten couples. 10 or, 12, 10 or 12 couples at the most. If you get any bigger than that, then it does not stay personal. You can't really minister to one another. You, it just gets too big and you begin to worship the Lord and stare at one another's back at one another's necks again. And, and if you'll get into that type of a fellowship group, and I don't mean get in there and have a word-by-word -word Bible study, but I mean where you come together, first of all, and just share a word from the Scriptures. And then begin to pray and begin to seek the Lord and pray for this person's needs and that person's needs and begin to ask the Lord to give you discernment. You know, God is willing to give understanding and wisdom to us if we really want it. A group of businessmen met about a week ago. They said, Lord, we don't know which direction to go in here. We have two decisions to make and we don't know which one to make. We're going to stay here before you until you show us. There were about eight or ten people around the table. And they began to seek the Lord and wait on the Lord, and suddenly a word came, a word of prophecy came, and there was a message in tongues and an interpretation of tongues, and both agreed. And then they began to praise the Lord and thank the Lord for it, and they said, Now, Lord, we know exactly what to do. The Lord said, I'm going to honor you because you've sought my face in this matter, and I will declare unto you my will. And they knew the will of God. Now, this is what needs to be done when a body of believers come together. Lord, I've got a problem here. Will you believers pray with me and believe God for the answer? Now, let's just, let's just put a, a, a bottom line on that so we don't go off wild on that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, what? God won't hear my prayer. Your iniquities have separated you from God, the Scripture says. Now, when we come and seek the will of the Lord, you have to, first of all, make sure that you're keeping short books with God. And again, it goes back to the cell. Husbands, you love your wives and treat them right, or it's going to, your prayer life's going to be hindered, the Scripture says. You know, we can sound as pious as a Pharisee, but we can go out of the temple just like the Pharisee did there when Jesus said that the publican, when he beat himself up on the breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, said that man went home justified rather than the other. And we have to be so very careful of that when we're in small groups. When we enter into this second level, there are just some basic principles I want you to think about. And the first one is, when you go in, forget yourself as much as possible. It's so important. You know, some people, they get into a group and they say, Oh, let me tell you all my problems this past week. And they proceed to do so. 
until to where when everybody goes home, all they can think of is somebody that had a cramp in their right big toe. And they tell about it all night or a corn on the inside of their left, their second toe on their left foot. You see, but the word says when you come together to fellowship that if you give, it shall be given unto you. If you have a need, go expecting to give to others, expecting to help others, expecting to lift up others. And you know, in giving and lifting and praying and encouraging and helping others, you'll find your needs are met. Does that sound logical? Second thing is, when you come into a fellowship group of this level, you must learn how to listen. I covered this somewhat in another message some time ago, but